In the midst of a worldwide pandemic, an undercurrent of racism towards the Asian community began to surface. Now, granted, I'm pretty sure it's always been there in America, and it dates back to the foreign wars like World War II and the Korean War. But undercurrents of society are so much more prevalent now because of things like social media and 24-hour cable news. But racism doesn't just look like calling Asian women China dolls or tiger moms. It looks like great disparity in wages and recognition in the workplace. While white and black women are still fighting for our seat at the table in the workplace, Asian women haven't even been invited into the room. So today, I sat down with my special guest and former client, Michelle Hoover, a leadership coach living in the heart of New York City. Born to Korean parents and raised deep in the Korean-American culture, Michelle has witnessed Asian racism and disparity firsthand. And I was so inspired to even invite her to be a guest on this podcast after she began posting some pretty incredible and eye-opening stats on her Instagram. Things like Asian women hold less than 3% of the management positions in America. And statements like, there's an inconsonance between the values we grew up with and the behaviors that are required for corporate recognition and promotion. I loved Michelle's honest take on the situation Asians find themselves in these days, a counterintuitive role of having to speak up for their place while also diligently honoring their culture. What I hope you'll take away from Michelle's story is awareness and a willingness to get in this fight with all women, no matter our skin color. So let's dive in with the truth about Asian racism with my friend Michelle Hoover on today's Inside Story podcast. Hi, I'm April Adams Pertwee. I'm your host of the Inside Story podcast. I've been telling people stories my entire adult life as a broadcast journalist, video producer, and digital storyteller. These days, you can find me at Lightbeamers, where I'm building a community of women who are ready to step into their brave by sharing their story with the world. On the Inside Story podcast, I'm bringing you some of the best stories I'm discovering from both the women inside of my community, as well as from around the streets of the internet. Plus, I'm digging deep to share some of my own stories with you along the way. My hope is that these stories will help encourage you to examine your own story so that you can share it with other people. I have a motto at Lightbeamers. When we share our stories, we shine a light. So with that in mind, let's get down to business today and share the light found in this episode. It's definitely been on my radar over the last several months and probably even this past year since we've been experiencing the pandemic, this conversation around and the rise in the conversation around Asian racism. Now, obviously, racism has existed for, you know, for a long time in our culture. We've had lots of conversations around racism, but I don't think we've exactly had this conversation specifically around the Asian experience. And so I'm very excited and thrilled to be opening up the microphone and inviting my good friend, Michelle Hoover, 
to join me today to have this conversation with me, because obviously it's not a conversation I can have as a white woman living in America, but I've invited Michelle, who is Asian American, uh, to come and share her experiences with us. Um, and so everyone give a warm welcome to Michelle, to the show. I'm so happy to have here on here on the Inside Story podcast. April, thank you so much for having me. Yes. So Michelle, obviously I, I follow what you're doing and I see you um, kind of stepping out here lately in the last few months or so um, with more visibility around this conversation. Michelle and I have done some work together in the past and we've had these conversations around getting visible with your story and all of that. And it's been a space of uncomfortability for you. Fair enough to say a little bit uncomfortable for you. That is 100% accurate. (laughs) And here lately, I've been following this Instagram account of Michelle's and I've been seeing her show up in such a powerful way, um, talking more about this particular topic around Asian racism. So obviously it's not a light topic. It's not something that um, we can take lightly. But it is something that I'm really proud of you for showing up for. And that actually was exactly how this conversation even got started, right? I reached out to you and I said, you really have to come onto the podcast now um, to talk about this because you have been sharing a lot of your own experiences. And what I've liked about what you've been sharing on Instagram is also some stats that have been pretty shocking. And I'm going to dig into those um, as we get into the episode, because I'm not someone that pays a lot of attention to data. I'm not a data-driven person, but I do know that data does tell a story, right? Analytics, data, they do tell a story. And the stats that you've been sharing have definitely been telling a story. So why don't we start with some of that, Michelle, just some of these stats that you've been finding out about you know, Asians and leadership, because you come from the world of leadership, you you have a business um, in leadership, a consulting business, helping other businesses and brands with their leadership teams. And so let's start with just the level of what is happening with how Asians are represented in companies today. Yeah. So while April, you began with stats, you acknowledged that your preference is to process your stories. And that's what I know of you. So I'll start with a story that gets to the business end of this. So I was unaware of how prevalent anti-Asian violence was becoming until I myself became subject to some verbal harassment on the street in my neighborhood where I've lived for more than 10 years. My neighborhood is 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 my home. I love it. And to feel vulnerable in my own neighborhood in the form of or, or having harassment been directed at me, blaming me for the pandemic, telling me to get out of here. And this was before Atlanta, the murders in Atlanta. This was before the media was was gaining traction on this. Uh-huh. Which is not to say I had not experienced anti-Asian racism in the past, but I wasn't connecting racism with the pandemic really in really deeply until it happened to me. So I started digging into it and I find out that anti-Asian hate crimes are up 1900% since the pandemic started. And just 
a jarring statistic like that prompts a lot of reflection. And I think it prompts a lot of reflection for people like me, or I can just speak for myself. It prompted a lot of reflection for me personally, because I not only had those recent incidences of harassment to think about, but you know, the, the, the aperture just widen in terms of how I think about how I show up in the world and how, Mm -hmm. how the world sees me. I've been doing leadership development in some shape or form for 16 years. And I teach people how to lead. I coach people how to lead. I have been a leader on a team, on several teams, in fact. (laughs) And I have tended to suppress my own resume as I consider who I am in the world. And that prompted more reflection. Why is it that I am not thinking about all of the things that I can do for people and all of the results I have proved for businesses in terms of improving their bottom lines? Why do I not think about myself in that way? And that prompted another cycle of reflection which led to my understanding how frankly dire and how imminent the the situation, the imminent attention we need to, to how imminently we need to draw attention to the situation for Asians in business, more particularly Asian women in business. So just to hit those stats, for women in management, it's it's tough in general. So white women occupy about 30% of management roles, Latinas 4.5%, Black women 4.1%, and here we are, Asian American women, uh, about 2.2% of management positions in 2020. Let's turn that into dollars and cents. So for every dollar paid to white men, Asian women are paid at best 88 cents on the dollar. So that's for management and ocu- and that's for management and financial occupations, uh, down to sales roles at 62 cents on the dollar. So there are other people there who might have experienced their journeys the way I have in that we, th- this is a hypothesis that I need to prove, but our tendencies to not advocate for ourselves and not realize that this discrepancy is there is something that we need to work on. And I think the time afforded by the pandemic and the violence and the racism we have seen come out of the pandemic have been forcing mechanisms for many of us to evaluate how we're going to show up and what actions we're going to take along those lines. I think that what you bring up right there is so important because so much of this is based um, on culture, right? In your own culture and how you were raised and how specifically your Korean culture and the family that you grew up in, some of these mentalities around, you know, how you're supposed to show up and how we're supposed to act here, how that leads to you, as you said, you're speaking for yourself, having these tendencies to not to not be ruffling the feathers and speaking up for yourself. Can you talk a little bit more about what, what does that look like in your culture and like specifically in your own culture, in your Korean household that you grew up in? You know, what did that look like and sound like and how is that parlaying into, you know, your awareness now that maybe you haven't been speaking up as much? Yeah. So there are two 
macro considerations that I want to draw in here. So number one, Asian cultures are collectivist. And here in the West, we are more individual, right? So we, in my household in particular, it wasn't about me as a person. It was about what does the family need? And second, there is a real hierarchy, depending on where you are, seniority wise, I'll just use business terms, right? So if I'm the youngest person in the house, I I don't have much of a voice in terms of decision making authority. So I, I grew up highly deferential to my elders. I actually, I was quite rebellious uh, when I discovered my own voice, but, but, <laughs> but cultural patterns would indicated that I would have just been extremely deferential and uh, quiet in terms of, of, of sharing my own voice. So add to that just the pressures that my parents and everybody on that generation generational level felt. So my family emigrated to the States in the 60s and the 70s, and I'm the first American born in my family. I was born and I was born in the Rust Belt. I'm from a coal mining town in Pennsylvania. So, and there weren't, there weren't very many Korean people there either. So add on to the collectivist and the uh, seniority dimensions, just the survival instinct of keeping your head down and limiting your visibility, right? And having the perception of you being only positive. And that's something that I think that you just kind of soak in as a result of modeling what you see happening around you. So uh, I was not, I was not, I did not walk into an environment or I did not, I was not born into an environment where uh, my individualism or my ability to be loud or my ability to be recognized was something that I needed to promote. And so, I mean, put that uh, up against, you know, many other Asian Americans, other, you know, other people living that same experience as you. Is it surprising then that you have these stats in front of you that, you know, Asian American women are taking up 2% of management positions in our country? It's not surprising to me. And every time I read a study, I see so much of myself in those pages. Mm -hmm. So for example, I have been diving into Margaret Chin's latest book called Stuck, Why Asian Americans Don't Reach the Top of the Corporate Ladder. And she cites three conditions or three dynamics that are holding us back. The first is the in consonance is my word between the values we grew up with and those that are required in the corporate setting for recognition and promotion. Uh, the second is how we're perceived, the stereotypes that are out there, tiger mom, china doll, dragon lady, model minority, which I really cannot stand. And the third is sexual harassment. And the reality is that I've experienced all three of those things more than I would say a dozen times in my 16 years, well, 20 years of being in the workforce. So no, it's not surprising. The deck is stacked against us. And by the way, these things are, these are, these are things that have been studied, right? What about the things that haven't been studied? What about the structural barriers that 
we're not even calling out just yet and the implicit and explicit biases that that decision makers in the workforce have and are employing without even noticing. Yeah, there's so much there to be uncovered still, because that's what I'm feeling, Michelle, is that, you know, just looking around in the world and seeing kind of what's been unfolding. And again, I say this as a very, you know, make make it clear. I know that I don't know everything because I'm over here as a white woman not living this experience. You know, I just I understand my place of privilege and I don't like it. So I'm also trying to figure out what does that what does that look like? What am I what am I not seeing? You know, even though like you may be seeing it because you're experiencing it. What am I not seeing? So I can see looking out and just feeling like, man, this has been something that's really been coming up a lot lately since the pandemic that why have I not thought of that? You know, why have I not thought of like if there's racism against blacks of course, there's racism against other cultures. Of course, you know, intellectually, I know that I can draw that correlation. But why haven't I thought to ask those questions? Why haven't I, you know, been looking for the things that might need to be uncovered? So there's so many pieces to this that I think haven't been uncovered yet, because I think the conversations are just now really starting to happen. That's where I want I want you to give yourself a break in that these conversations are only just beginning, right? Oh, they are. They are. And like, truly, how comfortable the dam is broken. And now we have to talk about it. Right. And now that we know the impetus, the impetus is there. There's there. There are definable problems to solve. There are many problems to solve. And therefore, there's energy behind solving them. I hope I hope the energy uh, continues to to gain prior to George Floyd. You know, how willing were we any of us? to have a broader, honest, deeper conversation about this. And, and and I count myself in that population as well, right? So as somebody who is Asian, who is privileged in terms of education, who has not suffered a whole lot during this pandemic, financially and professionally, I had every reason to not rock the boat. And frankly, you know, I, I still think about, I still thought about race quite frequently. And, you know, so just a personal example, um, I would feel uncomfortable talking about my own experiences with racism because I likely wasn't going to get shot, right? If, if somebody called the police on me, then there's, there's less of a likelihood that I would get shot than a black man or, or a black woman, right? So, so, there, when when you are so aware of race and you are constantly calculating, and and calculating has a negative connotation, but you are constantly calculating the risk you take in talking about your own experience because you know somebody else has it worse, right? Or, or you know that you know that if you are in a position of privilege, then you have to use that effectively. And sometimes, to me using it effectively was to not talk about it so that more urgent issues and urgent problems related to race would be addressed first. Now it's a different story because the dam has broken. We're talking about social justice and and true racial 
equity for Black people. And now Asian women are getting murdered in, uh, got, got murdered in Atlanta and Asian elderly people are getting beat up and we are being targeted. And now I have to talk about it. And now I have to be comfortable saying, you know what, you can have I want you to have this light and this is the light that I need as well to illuminate what's going on in my part of, in terms of what's affecting me most deeply in my personal experience. I think this is, you know, obviously because a lot of this has come out, you know, since the pandemic and um, a lot of things were stirred up during the pandemic, um, you know, politically around, uh, Asian countries and obviously China, since, you know, we've, we now know that that's where, um, this pandemic and this, um, this COVID-19 really originated from. And in some ways, I'm, I'm curious if you feel like the pandemic is for all the bad that it's been, like, it's definitely been destructive. Um, it's, it's been hard. It's been a lot of things. I'm, I'm curious if you see that as now a blessing in some way that it's opened up that box that we can now have these conversations, even though what it's stirring up is a lot of negative emotions and reality around things that are, that are not comfortable to talk about. And again, like you said, shining a light on some situations that are very, very uncomfortable to share. Do you see that in any sort of like juxtaposition of that, of like, of, of the, of the pandemic and what it's brought about? Sure. I definitely see or put another way, if we were going to lose close to 600,000 people in this country, let it be with some purpose or learning that we can derive from that. And I think we're learning a lot about a lot of things. We're learning, we're learning a lot about infectious diseases. We're learning about safety in general. And we're talking about issues that truly riveted us because the isolation of the pandemic gave us no other choice. We couldn't avoid this in terms of, of seeing it with our own eyes. That, that, and I'm referring to what happened to George Floyd. And come this spring when we were still in front of our TVs for the most part or still indoors, we, we couldn't ignore what, what happened in the Atlanta suburbs. And we're now in a place where you can't put the toothpaste back in, right? Like the, like we, today the CDC just announced that you can be maskless with, uh, you can be maskless indoors or outdoors. Great. So the pandemic is coming to an end hurrah for that. The conversations that we started in the pandemic are far from over. Now is when the real work starts. I love how, you know, it is. It's kind of like once we've let it out of the bag, the toothpaste can't go back in analogy. Um, So I am curious in, in your own experience, and I know you're thinking a lot about this, because again, you're, you're putting it out there. You're, you're, choosing to speak up, which I just applaud you for. Cause I, like I said, I know personally that learning to share your story and get visible has been something that you've been extremely uncomfortable with as you know, we've done some work together, but I'm curious, what do you think that, do you have any ideas of what that work should be? Like now we've got the work that we've got to go do. 
And again, you're you you work in leadership. You have this leadership brain. You you have phenomenal leadership skills. So lead us. You know what does that look like? Give the audience some suggestions of what we need to do, no matter where we are. You know, white, black, Asian, whatever, male, female. What do we need to do as a community of people to continue to have these conversations and get to doing that work? The first thing we need to do is listen to understand instead of listen to solution. So we are such a, we were such a fast paced, overcommitted society. And our instincts were to ask and not necessarily listen to listen, but listen to respond, right? So like I'm listening because I need to figure out what I'm going to say next and what I'm gonna say next is here. And that's not how people feel heard. And so much of what needs to be acknowledged, and as you said earlier in our conversation, as as aware as you were and as obvious as it seemed to you, it didn't occur to you that Asian people would experience racism. So listen for that and, and ask questions about it. And Don't worry if you don't know how to solve for this because nobody does. We're only having this conversation for the first time. So let's start with baby steps and listen and acknowledge and validate. And if something is, is striking you as hurtful, then acknowledge that too. Because frankly, when, when, my friends who are Asian American get together and talk about this. And and we've been doing that uh, more regularly uh, because we're, we sometimes we feel like we're all each other has right now. We often end up expressing emotions that we don't expect tears, rage, frustration, and not, and that's not just because it hurts, but it's because we're talking about it for the first time as well. So we are people, Asian Americans are people who, for better or for worse, have taken on a lot of the traits and qualities of our elders that have led to success for them in this country, but maybe haven't been the most beneficial mental health wise. So, you know, we're not we're not raised to talk about that which we're uncomfortable with. We're not raised to um, cry or be or be candid about when we think there's some kind of wrongdoing uh, being done. You know, we 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 swallow our feelings and and we plow ahead because hard work is going to lead to great things for us. And, keep your head down, stay quiet, do good work, and it'll all be fine. And that's just not true. So these little circles that we've been having among friends have been so helpful for us. And and we all look at each other afterwards and we say, oh my gosh, I've never done that before. Have you? (laughs) And um, it's been very helpful in that regard. So something's this is all new to you and it's new to us as well. So start with listening. And, you know, that's my favorite part of storytelling, honestly, is listening to other people's stories. Um, it's it's really what I find that you said it earlier. You know that about me. That's how I process life. I, I process through 
you know, understanding things through stories, which is really one of the main reasons why I even have this podcast and have guests like you on, because by listening to your story, I can start to, you know, I, I can have the opportunity to listen and then really start to process what the heck is really going on in this world and what can I do to play a role that would, you know, make sense for me. Um, so I love that you mentioned listening because that is something that I think that our our culture in America, Americans in general, and as you said, our very fast-paced world of wanting to be solution-driven, we've missed that piece of it. We've missed that piece of listening because we want to listen, but but sometimes we listen, like you said, with it with a with the intention to react so that we can make ourselves right. And man, that's just something we've gotten so wrong is trying to be right. That's something I recognize for sure that has got to stop, you know, is, is stop opening our mouths and just close it and listen and don't try to write anything. Another thing that I would add that you have already demonstrated is you've identified that stuff is going on and that you are, you are not up to speed on how the stuff that's going on impacts people. And I can't tell you how impactful it is it is it has been for me to hear from friends who have just texted or sent an email that said I've been following the news I can't begin to understand but I just want you to know that I'm here from you here for you and that's not even listening that's just acknowledging <laughs> and that goes a long way that goes a long way that that's that shows me that there's some dot connection going on in in the macro and that you connected that dot out there all you know that dot that represents all the stuff that's happening in the world back to somebody you know and you care about right and that that means so much so if if you don't have it in you to listen that's that's okay just acknowledge and that can, that will count for a lot too yeah, acknowledging is 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 definitely the first step. We've got to acknowledge that the problem exists and that that problem leads to someone, like you said, that we know and love and are, are in our very own communities and in our inner circles. And this this definitely was evident to me, obviously, when all of that came out with George Floyd. You know, the first thing I did think about was like, oh, my gosh, who, who are my, you know, my close friends that I need to reach out to and see if they're okay? I didn't know what to say. I didn't, you know, and I don't even know that I was prepared to really listen because I didn't know what questions to even ask. But other than say just that, you know, I'm here and I see what's going on. I know this is so painful. It must be so painful. I can't imagine what this feels like, but I'm here. Um, So acknowledging is an important piece of it. I'm glad that you brought that up, that it's listening is huge, but just acknowledging it. And I think that's, again, what I meant earlier by sort of the blessing of what this pandemic has brought is that it's brought this situation to light. Because like you said, it's not that Asian racism didn't exist before the pandemic. It just somehow got exacerbated and stirred up and brought out in a really ugly way, in a really awful way during the pandemic. But it's also allowed for these conversations to unfold. So that's, that's the good part of it. When you, so we have kind of two conversations happening here because we're talking about, you know, Asian racism and the rise of it and the awareness of it now. 
And like you said, the toothpaste is out. We can't put it back in. So what are we going to do? And we have this, these stats around, you know, Asian Americans uh, in the workforce, in leadership, in management positions, uh, in the financial data of what Asian American women are earning on the dollar versus men. Um, how do you see those two storylines kind of paralleling each other? Like what, what's happening here with the rise of this um, Asian uh, racism coupled with this awareness and these stats coming out about the disservice and the, you know, the inequality of what's happening in the workforce? You're right. There are definitely two stories moving at parallel. And I would say that my experience bridges those two tracks. My response to fighting the racism is to educate myself and educate others on the work that needs to be done to increase visibility for Asians in the workplace. I am invested in getting more women of color into leadership positions in, in, in the corporate world and Asian women are in that population. The more audible we are about what is happening, the more likely we are to do something about it. So I think that my vehicle, my, my world is the business world. Um, so I'm going to go to what I know how to do, which is talk about what good leadership development looks like, have that information be available to the women and anyone really who wants to get access to content on, on development and progress through their careers through my platform and hope that it creates the kind of agency and the confidence that we need in terms of increasing our visibility and amplifying our larger voice in leadership settings. I love that. You know, one of the things that I have always said about, about our stories, you know, our own personal stories is that if we really follow the breadcrumbs of our story, it will lead us into our purpose. And I'm wondering if you're feeling that now, because you've had your leadership consulting company for a few years now, as you've been out on your own, in your own business, but you've been doing this work for a very, really long time, working in different roles and responsibilities around leadership and leading teams. Do you now feel like this particular storyline of your own, this experience you've been living is that breadcrumb that's leading you into this purpose because you just identified what you want to go do with your voice now and with your work. Yeah. And I'm so surprised at where the breadcrumbs have led me. When I first decided to start my own company, I had no desire for visibility. I had no desire <laughs> to like to be anybody special who does this kind of work. And you can do this work. I could do this work in the way that I've been doing it for the next 30 years and ride off into retirement and have nobody <laughs> know who I was. I, I wasn't planning on writing a book on leadership or anything like that. 
now things have changed and maybe it's because I've been operating independently for two years and I needed a new challenge. Maybe it's because I I realize, oh, you know what? I'm looking to my left and right and there aren't many people who look like me who do this and who have my set of experiences. I have a unique point of view. I should share it because people seem to be interested in it. And then Atlanta and frankly, the harassment that I was subjected to changed everything and just galvanized this energy within me that said, you know what, like you have never been pushed around in your life. You have never stood for injustice in any way. What if you viewed expanding your platform as self-advocacy and advocacy for people, the advocacy of people you care about? And that just changed everything for me. I will I will fight for people I care about. I will fight for uh, equality. I will fight for the disenfranchised. So the view two years ago is, oh, create a name for yourself and, you know, be a brand professionally. And I, I just, I just really, really shrunk back from that. But now if it's share your message because it can be useful and you can help and you can enable somebody else's success, that's what's important to me. And that's especially important to me at a time when people need to hear and see people who look like me. I'm curious then, when you think about sharing your own story now, does that feel more exciting and something that you're willing to do? I mean, you're sharing it with us today. So I know you're willing because I got you here. But, you know, on the grand scheme of things, do you do you see how your own story can be a benefit? I do. I and I and I want to use it for good and I want to use it to change. I don't want to say change the world because that sounds so lofty, but I want I want I want to help people. I want to help people realize a different version of their world through their own skills and 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 mindset shifts and 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 through uncovering their own capability. And if I can do that, and I, as somebody who grew up in a coal mining town in Pennsylvania, as the first person born in my born in the United States with an income that was below the poverty line, fast forward, get a graduate degree from Harvard and have been living in Manhattan since 2006, happily and successfully, then there's got to be something in there that can be useful to somebody in similar circumstances. So For me, it's been all about gaining comfort through using the lens of service and help, helping others. And that is what helps me uh, increase my visit, increase my comfort with increasing my visibility. I don't think I'm ever going to enjoy (laughs) this part of what the work requires, but I'm getting more comfortable with it because I see its purpose and its value. Well, you know, I have a saying that when you share your story, you shine a light. <laughs> I know. You've heard me say that a few times. I, indeed. But I love that. And that's what I hope comes out of more of these conversations, right? Is that people realize, and especially people like you, and thank you for sharing that part about being in your inner circle with other friends who are Asian American and you guys realizing, gosh, it's 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 our own undoing sometimes that we have to go through 
in order to be able to come out on the other side, we have to be willing to show our emotions. We have to be willing to show our insecurities and things like that. When you haven't always been taught that, as you said, by your elders in your families and and you weren't taught that as a culture, but that it, it's through those uncomfortabilities and doing things that are hard But on the other side of it, we get to hear these stories come out and it's more of, you know, it's not me that's going to change that. It's, it's the actual people experiencing this, 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 this inequality and this racism, you know, that's experiencing it. So people in your community, that's what it's going to take is people sharing their stories. Now it will take us listening, but it will take people coming forward saying, this is what's happening this is not okay, and using their voice to speak up. I think that's right in that if you don't know it's a problem, then you can't begin to understand the depth of pain that it causes. So the our ability to express pain is going to be helpful to the overall solutioning of all of this. It's going to take a while, but you first got to recognize that it's a huge problem that affects people to this degree. And the pain is very real. And it has been hugely beneficial to experience that release of pain with people who just have been similarly minded, right? So um, one thing that we that we often talk about when we talk about rectifying and, and working on you know, race problems in this country is, gosh, the people who have been burdened also have to teach, you know, like, and that, that can feel exhausting. I think it's all about tonality and intention and how the need for information is expressed, right? So it, it can't be, you know, I'm a white lady, I don't know, just teach me, right? It, it, that's one thing. Right. It's another thing to say, I'm really sorry that happened to you. I can't begin to understand. Tell me how you feel, right? It, it's just a different, it's just a different environment that you create when you are pulling somebody into your world versus stepping into theirs. So think about, that not just you, but everybody, as as we think about how we how we're going to walk forward together, think about that request for information and how the shape and the form of it can really connote privilege or not, and how that might impact your conversation. That's such a good a good point too, because there definitely um, has been that exhaustion of feeling like you've got to also now teach everybody how to do this right um, when you've been the one that's been feeling so much of the, of, you know, of, of the attack, if you will. Um, and I really, I can relate to that because I'm a woman, even though I'm a white woman, I still can relate to that. Cause I was having this conversation, uh, just yesterday about, you know, so many women changing and getting out from underneath, uh, you know, whatever it is, whatever patriarchal system that you're in, in under that's exhausting to you, look around, they're everywhere. Um, and so many women like making big changes in their lives, whether it's starting their own business so that they're not having to answer to the white man. Um, what does this look like in our marriages and what conversations are we having? It's, it's happening everywhere with women. 
And at the same time, it's, it's, we're, we're finding ways to avoid those conversations of having to teach men, you know, what is this really like? Cause we're just so exhausted by it. At least that's how I feel. Um, and so I do get it because, um, of being a woman, but man, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, add to that being a woman and being Asian or and being black or, you know, adding to that, the complexity, it's double exhaustion. It can be very, very tiring. And honestly, I think this is probably the first time I'm processing how fatiguing it is because prior to, to having thought about it, you just, you just adopt your native behaviors, put your head down, work hard, you know, stand up for yourself. Like, I, I don't think I was a shrinking violet in, in that regard, but, you know, I accepted it as what I was just going to have to deal with. And I think the difference is now I'm not accepting this anymore and I'm going to fight for something better for my nieces and my nephew and everybody in that generation. I was really inspired yesterday. I was, I was scrolling on Instagram and I saw, I'm a Hamilton fanatic. I've seen it six times. And I saw a cast member who was unfamiliar to me uh, post a video of her singing, which led to another video with another of her cast members singing. And these were two Asian women. And then I had a flashback to when I saw Hamilton while I was on business in Omaha. And at that particular performance, George Washington was being played by an Asian man. And I remember at that time, I was like, oh my gosh, George Washington, the father of this country is being played by an Asian man. And I started crying as soon as I saw him because representation matters. And then I was reminded of that when I was looking at these Instagram videos last night and I was like, huh, okay. So now we're seeing Asian American performers. And the reason why this is resonating for me is because I do not think that I could have gone down that path given where I was generationally and what my parents expectation was for me right like I had to find a career that was going to allow me to pay the bills and what is creativity and what is art you know do something practical right and it's getting better right it's already getting better in that regard like my my nephew who is huge into musical theater he sees people who look like him now so he sees possibilities he's seeing a world where that is that just feels more open to him and my nieces as well. So I'm just so encouraged by that in that their tolerance for everything that I put up with is going to be less because the world is going to be better for them. So I feel like I am stepping in, in into the fight at a good time and all the discomfort that I experience in putting myself out there is totally worth it because I care so much about people fully expressing, realizing and expressing their potential. And when there is racism, that doesn't happen. So that's why I'm in this. Beautifully said, beautifully said. I think that's where we should end it because we're going to end it on the positive. We're going to end it on the hopeful possibility and the opportunities that are out there for us and for future generations to come Um, with a little bit of, uh, you know, call to action of us to go forward listening uh, being active listeners, not listening to respond, but listen to just listen. 
um, to empathize and to speak up when injustices are around us and not to turn a blind eye and to also acknowledge, you know, to our fellow uh, friends and citizens and community members that you see them, you really do see them. And I think that is just a place for all of us to start. And I'm so glad we had this conversation today and I'm really glad that you're showing up and I'm so glad that you're sharing parts of your story. And I'm really glad to see, you know, all your posts on Instagram um, talking about this stuff because it's just really using your voice in a powerful way. Thank you, April, for being this persistent presence that reminds me that this is good for me and I ought to be doing this. So seriously, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity and I appreciate the growth that comes out of stepping into this space. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm going to link up your Instagram handle, Beam Leadership, so that people can follow along and definitely get in touch with you. We'll also link up your website um, because there may be somebody listening that uh, needs some of this type of leadership in their own company and would like some direction on how to better uh, build leaders you know, that have a little bit more variety and color and background and capability and experience and all of those things. And so we want to um, link up your website as well so that people can follow you and be in contact with you. And I just, again, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Inside Story. We will be back next week with another one. So we'll see you then. Have a good one. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to give it a review and share this broadcast out with your friends and family. Now, did listening to this episode make you think more about your own story? Are you wondering which parts of your own story are relevant to share with others? This is the question I get asked more than any other. How do I share my story? Which parts of my story are worth sharing with other people? How can I make my story relatable so that others can benefit from it? I've taken my simple process that I've used for years as a journalist and broken it down into a three-part storytelling formula that will help you discover the key components of your own story and how to share it. It's a free resource I've created to help you become a light beamer by sharing your story. Simply go to www.lightbeamers.com and click on the big yellow button on the homepage to download your story formula. I'd love to hear your story too. So be sure to join my free community on Facebook, the Light Beamers community, and share your story with me. I can't wait to learn more about you and the story that's inside of you. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can get notified when our next broadcast is live. You will want to stay tuned to the stories we are lining up for you next. I promise they are so good. As always, Light Beamers, I'm over here cheering for you. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.